Felicia's impact goes certainly far beyond the children's ministry. And I, I just think about her influence in the logistics of reopening this last year uh, over the change and impact she's had on the way that we do hospitality uh, here, especially in our connect opportunities, just creating uh, such a hospitable environment to welcome one another in as we connect with one another. And the contributions as a team to, to love and pray for one another, to support one another, to bounce ideas off of one another. Uh, but I think probably my favorite thing of all, though, is the imagination that went into the preschool large group. Two and three-year-olds downstairs singing and dancing and praising the Lord. And just what a beautiful picture that is. If, if only our hearts, our bodies, our minds would celebrate and engage with God the way that those kids have done. That's the picture of the kingdom for us. So we're going to celebrate her after the service. And so if you're watching at home... I want to give you permission. Get in your car now. You can pull up the service on your phone, not if you're driving, uh, but you can pull the service up on your phone. Come and celebrate with us after the service. We're going to gather outside uh, for coffee uh, and uh, just a chance to be together, to see each other's faces, to be able to, to celebrate uh, as we continue to celebrate Alicia's ministry here. Uh, last week, we celebrated Easter out in the field and and in this beautiful picture, as we had a service outdoors in the, in the spring, and the, and the spring blossoms around us, the, the, the hope and, and healing of a worship service, and hearing that God calls us by name into the new life that he has for us. And certainly we were fueled by some Easter candy, but there was also this hope uh, as we gathered together, some for the first time in over a year, many coming together and to see those faces again. And so there was something cool about last week, and there usually is with Easter, but especially after the year that we've had, to be able to be together, to celebrate. And we're not going to stop the celebration there. As I mentioned in the announcements, we have opportunities in the Easter festival, uh, the men's breakfast May 1st, the women's half day retreat May 15th, opportunities to get together, to get together in our community groups and small groups as well, and the rest shop stop next week. Chances to be together and celebrate the newness of the life that the Easter's empty tomb offers us. So we hope that you'll join with us and participate in those events. As we've been planning over the last few weeks, something that we keep coming back to is the reality that what we need is to be together. Because we've forgotten how in many ways. Having people over to my home, it's... it's I'm always like outside waiting, they come in, and I'm waiting to see whether they get out of their car, whether they have a mask on or not. Even if we're meeting outdoors, I want to know the protocol, and there's this, this weirdness of trying to be together. And then, and then when you're together and, you, and you've got the mask all day, I just can't wait till I get to my car and I can take it off. And so there's a way that we're together now that we want to celebrate, we want to appreciate. But there's also a level of togetherness that, that we've got to rediscover. We've got to relearn after a year of, uh, of disruption and disorientation. And the fact of the matter is, is that we don't just have to rediscover and reorient ourselves back to where we used to be. Because even before all of this last year, we were looking ahead to see where God was going to take us. To greater levels of togetherness and connection and unity in the spirit and worship and service in our world. And so as we picture being together to celebrate Easter in the weeks to come, 
We want to imagine not some general, abstract, far-off existential togetherness, but the practical reality that we can be an Easter people, a people of the cross and the empty tomb together to have that new life. That's where we're going. And so this morning, I want to talk about our togetherness so that we can imagine together what being an Easter people together looks like, a people of the cross and the empty tomb. This last week, I was reading those stories that happened immediately after Easter Sunday. In the days and the weeks that follow, as the disciples have been disoriented and disrupted, they weren't prepared for the cross or the empty tomb. It didn't matter that Jesus was telling them about it all along, pointing, the Son of Man must die, must be given up, the temple must be torn down and raised again. But they still didn't get it. Even when they encountered it, they remained disoriented. And so when Jesus comes to them, he begins by explaining again what they've just seen and then unpacking it for them so he can send them on a mission. And so from Easter to Pentecost, a a period of 50 days, what he tells his disciples after reorienting them to the gospel, to the empty tomb, to the cross, he says, go and wait till the Holy Spirit power comes upon you. And then go and be my witnesses to the cross and to the empty tomb, to who I am and what I've done in Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And so we read in Acts 2 that the Holy Spirit comes down as they're huddled together in Jerusalem, waiting in a house, and power comes to shake the house. And the people that were around came to investigate, to see what was going on. And for the first time, Peter steps out to preach Easter to be a witness to the cross and the empty tomb in the power of the Holy Spirit. And what follows next is a picture of togetherness, the Easter story, the cross and the empty tomb, transforming lives and the world ever since. May it teach us a vision and imagination for togetherness, for today, when we celebrate outside, for tomorrow, for the days and the weeks to come. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 2. As we look at verses 40 through 47. And this is the tail end of Peter's sermon and his plea to them. Picking up in verse 40. With many words he warned them and he pleaded with them. Save yourselves from this corrupt, wicked, crooked generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. 
And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Join me in prayer. God, in the midst of a, a week, a year, a lifetime where things are not as they should be, a place in between Easter when Christ had died and Christ was risen, and then now in between when Christ will come again. Lord, would you give us an imagination for how we can be Easter people, how we can be together, how we can live and practice and receive the good news of the gospel in the empty tomb, even today, Lord. We need the Holy Spirit, God. We need your power to attend to us and to shape us. And we ask these things in confidence and faith in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So this last week for our school's indicator was spring break. Did any of you get a chance to get away this week? Come on, Lynn, raise your hand. I see it. I see that hand. I see that hand. Well, you look tan and refreshed and, and just full of life. I'm so glad to see it. Isn't that what you wanted to hear? Uh, my family went away this last week down to the panhandle, down to the beach. I wasn't able to go with them. Uh, but as they were traveling down there, I, I went through in my mind the road, the journey down there. Uh, the place where they went, I've been to maybe 20 times over the last 10 years for different conferences, uh, family vacations, work trips, uh, and, and all kinds of things going down there. And I know that route. And so I was sitting there as they left in the morning thinking, well, they're probably going from 285 to 85 now. And now they're passing the way station. They're getting off to 185 to go south to Columbus. They're getting off at Columbus. They're going to the street ends and then they're turning left. There's the Taco Bell there. I always think about stopping there. But don't. Go a little bit further. Turn left at the Walgreens because Mike and Ed's barbecue is there. They had a fire last time I was traveling through, so I didn't get to go. But if you go to Mike and Ed's, you get to drink sweet tea out of a trash can. <laughs> That's how much they go through. You get back on the road, you keep going. When you get a little bit further towards Eufaula, you're going to see a chance to stop for the Backwoods drive through Art Gallery. We did this with friends from our community group a few years ago. It was quite an experience, like something out of an HBO murder show. I don't really recommend it. You go a little bit further, through you fall, you're going to turn left when you get into Dothan. There's an old Kmart that's on your right, there's a KFC on your left, and the sign has a bucket of chicken on it. You go a little bit further, you go turn left again, you're right there, head towards the state line in Florida. You're going to pass the, the National Peanut Festival, never been, have you? You go a little bit further, there's a lotto and a liquor store, you keep going, eventually you're over the bridge and you're at the beach. And even though I've been there and could tell you the turns over and over again, when I get in the car and I'm going that way, I still pull up my GPS. I pull it up to, even though I know the landmarks, I have my bearings, I pull it up because I want to make sure I stay on the right journey. I want to make sure that if I encounter a traffic jam, I don't decide I'm going to take a shortcut and find my own way when really it's going to add time to the trip. I want to make sure that if I miss a turn and I need to turn back to get back on course, I do that. And I want to know when I'm getting close, when I'm getting close to my destination. The spiritual life 
similarly has for us markers, landmarks. This place between Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. There is an unfolding, a coming of the kingdom, a new life in an empty tomb that's coming into our world. And God shows us the journey, invites us into the landmarks, not only on our own, but together. And so for us on this road, between life as it is and as it is in heaven, we want to journey well. We want to journey together. We want to navigate by the landmarks. We want to experience the opportunities along the way. And we want to know we're getting closer and closer to that destination. To be an Easter people to be a people who practice both the cross and the empty tomb and all that we do on our own and when we're together, to be a people marked by these events of Easter weekend, to be a people who are marked by the apostles' teaching that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. These are the landmarks. And to be a people who share in this new life of Easter together. Now, the picture is pretty clear in the passage, right? We just, we read it. They, they were together. They had fellowship. There was teaching. There were prayers. There was breaking of bread. They met one another's needs. In the bigger picture, the, the picture is clear too. Jesus died. He rose again. He met with them. He sent them out. He ascended to heaven. And 3,000 people joined when they heard about Easter. And a few weeks later, another 2,000 joined. And so in a matter of just a few weeks, by the cross and the empty tomb, thousands of people had joined the family of God, had been transformed. The emphasis on this passage, when in the old days when you didn't have italics or an underline opportunity, when you didn't have punctuation you could leverage, if you want to make a point, then you had to emphasize and repeat something over and over again. So we see the emphasis in this passage that God was bringing them together, practicing togetherness and connection. Now notice too, as they were saved by faith in the the cross and the empty tomb, it's not just that they got an individual ticket to go to heaven and they were good. No, rather they were traveling together. They were learning together, devoted to fellowship, having everything in common, meeting one another's needs, praying, praising, being transformed, enjoying the favor of all God's people. And the witnesses around them came in, added to their numbers daily. The togetherness and connection that's offered in this passage. This is the Easter invitation. It's the gospel invitation. It's the invitation of God's plan of redemption to come in and to be ourselves and to be together and to be created and creation in the way that God has designed with and for him. So we wanna dive a little bit deeper into this passage to look at their togetherness that's emphasized there and to see three things about it. We want to see their foundation for their togetherness. 
We want to see the shape of their togetherness and then the fruit of their togetherness. The foundation, the shape, and the fruit. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. The content of that first sermon, they're not out preaching and proclaiming before this, but God orients them, sends them out, and says, you're going to be a witness, and you're going to tell the story. And what story do they tell? The cross and the empty tomb. That this Jesus surely was the Son of God. He surely was the Messiah. He had to come. We couldn't get to God on our own, but God made a way. And the evidence of what God has done, the evidence of his grace in the cross, is that Christ rose again. And because Christ is resurrected, because the tomb is empty, we can have new life as well. It doesn't matter the occasion, uh, the audience, what needs addressing in the New Testament. Over and over again, each one of the apostles is going back and saying, because the tomb is empty, because the Son of God came and died on the cross and the tomb is empty, here's how you do relationships. Here's how you do justice. Here's how you do mercy, generosity, charity, service. Here's how you resolve conflict. Here's how you practice rhythms of rest. Here's how you pray. Here's how you think about yourself. Here's how you think about others. Because Christ came, died, has risen, and will come again. Here's the way that you are to live. The foundation of their togetherness was their devotion and, and being rooted in the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching that Christ has died, has risen, and will come again. When we think about the challenges in our own lives, the disunity, the lack of justice, when we think about our isolation and loneliness and disorientation, are we bringing those things to the cross and the empty tomb? Are we connecting our conflict with the reality and the necessity that Christ had to die and he did? With the fruit of new life that he's risen and with the promise that he's coming again, that we are on a journey? Are we connecting these ordinary things in our life to the cross and to the empty tomb? They were devoted to the fellowship, to the apostles' teaching. The word devoted here means to give away. When you devote something, you think about, I think about Old Testament stories where they devoted their kids to the priesthood, right? Uh, thinking of Samuel and, and this devotion, God gave me this child I'm going to bring and I'm giving him away because God gave him to me. How are we devoting our lives to the cross and the empty tomb? How are you bringing the way that you treat yourself, the way you think about money, the way you think about your time, the way you think about your possessions, the way you think about your weakness, your limitations, your failure, your grief, your vulnerability? Are you devoting these things to God? They were devoted to the teaching and to the fellowship because they needed one another to understand the teaching, just like we do. 
And when God made humankind, he made mankind, not any one of us in God's image, but all of us together. And we said this a few weeks ago in worship, we need one another because we image God differently together. We reflect different aspects of him. We understand the apostles' teaching, the cross and the empty tomb in different ways. And so in fellowship with one another, we can be devoted to the truth of Easter, to the gospel more. We can encourage one another, hold one another accountable, support one another, and continue on in our journey. How are you being rooted in the cross and the empty tomb? What do you need to devote this week, today, to God? The second thing, what was the shape of their togetherness? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And it's important to note that in the Greek, there's a definite article before each of these words, the breaking of bread and the prayers. Uh, most scholars agree, even though there's a debate, most scholars agree that they're talking about uh, liturgy and worship and practicing the Lord's table, this breaking of bread that we do together. But still there's some debate about it that's saying, no, they're just talking about eating together and being together. But what we read in the New Testament and what we know from, uh, from other people writing in the time is that they did both. And they did it all the time. They broke bread and hospitality and fellowship together. They practiced communion together. They came together specifically to say those words, to eat the bread and to drink the cup. They came together to pray. When we practice this table together, when we proclaim the mystery of the faith that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again, we rehearse, we give witness to the cross and the empty tomb to the necessity that we couldn't get in a line and come forward. We couldn't be together on our own merits. And even if we could be grumped, uh, grouped together uh, because of similar morality or, or giftedness or, or failures, we couldn't get to God on our own. But we come and we practice this table together to practice the hospitality and the generosity of God. That he has made the way and the cross and the empty tomb so that we can have togetherness, that we can be nourished, that we can be with God, with ourselves, and with one another. Similarly in prayer, just like when we come to the table and we say we're not here on our own accord, we are not living the way that we should, but we come because of Jesus, we do the same thing in prayer. Our practice on Tuesdays and Thursdays that Linda could tell you about, and we want to invite you to join with us, allsoulsfellowship.org slash worship, Tuesdays and Thursdays at noon for about 30 minutes. We pause and we listen so that we can acknowledge how things are. So that then we can pray together as it is in heaven. We can say, God, here's my life, my identity, here's my lack of rooted in the apostles' teaching, here's where I am today, living to please other people, living to please myself, to take care of some problem I've got going on. But we see the promise, the cross, the empty tomb, and may 
it be on earth as it is in heaven. They met together regularly, breaking bread, prayer, worshiping with gladness and sincere hearts. They were rehearsing the cross and the empty tomb, the need, God's provision, and the power and the first fruits. They met together daily. This worship that they had took place in the common spaces of their life around their table, their conversations with one another out in the marketplace, in the temple. And their common, ordinary togetherness, just like we have, was marked and shaped by worship. The Apostle Paul tells us that the same power that raised him from the dead is the power that's at work in us to shape us for right relationships, for righteousness with God ourselves and with one another, that we can have togetherness on this journey to perfect unity, perfect justice, to that perfect Easter when Christ will come again. And then finally, what was the fruit of their togetherness? The togetherness rooted in the truth of the apostles' teaching. The togetherness that was shaped by worship and in both ways practicing the cross and the empty tomb. Finally, what was the fruit? The togetherness and the fruit of what God had done was expressed in service. They didn't view their time, their homes, their lives, their stories, their successes, their failures, their talents, their treasures. These were not their own. But they had been purchased by the cross and the empty tomb to be a source of life for others. Their riches, their resources were not their own, but were held in common. The needs and burdens that people felt were not their own, but were shared by others. And in this way, when they encountered a need, especially in themselves, they had an opportunity to practice the cross. The inability to meet our needs on our own and flourish apart from God. So that then the reality of the empty tomb could be shared with them. Over the last few months, I found myself in an occasion of need. Spending additional time to take care of my family and my parents because of some health struggles they had. And after a few weeks of not taking care of my family and my home, not being able to eat and and prepare meals because we didn't have the time and the bandwidth, I sat down and wrote an email to our meals team asking for meals. And I hit send and cried all over my computer because what I knew was the death and my failure I knew the cross that I wasn't able to live my life and flourish the way that I wanted. That I wasn't enough on my own to take care of my family, to practice right relationships with myself and my health and my rest, to do all the things that needed doing. When I sent that message, I felt buried. 
until the response came. And that grave that I felt of the insecurity and shame that I wasn't enough and that I needed help turned into an empty tomb. And then weeks later, I had someone come and take me out to lunch and and offer the same. To come alongside and to meet me because my problem was their problem. And their resources of time and energy to take care of my house was an opportunity for tangible grace. To bring the celebration of Easter just by taking care of my yard. Friends, are you in a place of need? Mourning, loss, failure, shame, a a place of sickness, financial ruin. Do you feel buried? Do you feel rich, full of the spirit? Do you have the time and the energy and the resources to come along somebody else? Who could you come alongside this week to turn a place that's a grave into an empty tomb? Who can come alongside you to turn your grave into an empty tomb? See, friends, the invitation of Easter, the invitation of the gospel, the reason why we're together now, why we're going to celebrate outside, the reason why we're going to do the festival and all of these things is because that tomb is empty. But we're in this place between Christ has died and Christ has risen and when Christ will come again. And so we're journeying along, watching the landmarks, staying the course and traveling together. That in togetherness we could be devoted to the apostles' teaching, the cross and the empty tomb. That in worship we can share what is not yet and what is coming, life as it is in heaven. And that we can experience the fruit and celebrate the joy of Easter in tangible and common ways. Amen. It's time to practice the breaking of the bread, the prayers, the reality that we don't come here in our own strength. We're not together in our own strength. We can't be connected to ourselves, to the world around us. We cannot flourish. We cannot reach our destination. We are lost. Except that Christ has died. Christ is risen and Christ will come again. If your faith is in him, then come and eat this meal and drink this cup. And if you're at home, I know it's hard to go to the cabinet and get some crackers or bread. But would you do it today? Find something today that we can be devoted to the breaking of bread. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was with his disciples in the upper room, and after giving thanks, he took the bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat of it. In the same way, he took the cup of wine. After giving thanks, he blessed it and gave it to them, saying, this cup is the new covenant and my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. And the Apostle Paul reminds us that when we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. 
So together we proclaim the mystery of the faith, that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Amen.